Hello, and welcome to this edition of Life's Tough. You can be tougher. Our first podcast was earlier this year, and since we started, we've had a number of inspiring and engaging guests and lots of free-flowing conversation. I'm Dustin Plantholt, your host. This is a show about life and purpose. It's about the stories we all have. Everyone, when you think about it, has a story. Some stories may sound more riveting than others. That's to be expected. Not every story, after all, is the basis for a blockbuster movie or an HBO miniseries. When you think about your own story, the most important thing to consider is what you will do with it. Or, to put it another way, what will your legacy be? We're looking forward to another terrific show today with our featured guest, Brian Marks. Brian is a proven veteran of the hair care industry. He has developed a variety of successful brands, including African Pride, Dr. Miracles, Always Natural, and Ginseng Miracle. All have performed exceedingly well, topping a billion dollars in retail sales. His newest brand is My Israel's Miracle, which uses a blend of organic ingredients from Israel. I'm looking forward to talking with Brian. It's sure to be an entertaining conversation. Before we begin, I want to welcome a returning sponsor, the POI Institute. The POI Institute is a private, luxurious, holistic detox center located in gorgeous Cabo San Lucas on Mexico's Baja California Peninsula. POI offers safe, medically-focused Ibogaine detox treatments for individuals suffering from a variety of addictions. Call the POI Institute at 833-POI-CABO. That's 833-POI-CABO. Or check out their website, POIibogaine.com. That's P-O-I-I-B-O-G-A-I-N-E.com. Be sure to tell them that Life's Tough sent you. During his 30-year-plus career, Brian Marks has been dedicated to the entrepreneurial spirit. He has repeatedly introduced new lines of women's quality hair care products. He has also invested himself in ongoing philanthropic work. Born and raised in Brooklyn, New York, Brian's first venture in business was selling products to the health food trade from his car trunk. At age 25, he started a hair care company that would become famous for its trademark, African Pride. That company, which produced hair care products for the African-American community, was so successful that Brian was the recipient of the prestigious Ernst & Young Entrepreneur of the Year Award in 1996. Revlon ultimately purchased the company in excess of $40 million in 1998. Brian then was named president of Revlon's multicultural division worldwide. Working at a big company, however, was not a good fit for his entrepreneurial spirit. After a few years of waiting out his non-compete contract, Brian launched another new brand, Dr. Miracles, in 2004, which was based on a fictitious cure-providing scientist. Like African Pride, the brand was a big success, and Brian sold it to a major private equity company. These two brands, African Pride and Dr. Miracles, along with other brands Brian created over the years, Always Natural and Ginseng Miracle, continue to rack up sales and have surpassed the $1 billion market at retail. After the sale of Dr. Miracles, Brian took time off. He met his wife, Nene, a former model who immigrated from West Africa and raised their children. He also became curious about his Jewish heritage and began studying Kabbalah, which brought him to Israel for the first time. It was on this trip to Israel that something magical happened. As Brian had said, he felt compelled to launch My Israel's Miracle. Traveling through Israel, he said, an amazing connection to something ancient, spiritual, and energizing came over me. I wondered if hair care secrets were lurking beneath the energy and emotion I was feeling. After intensive research, I discovered the answer was yes. 
there were ingredients that have been used for thousands of years that combined these ingredients and created my Israel's miracle, which represents my new love and respect for wonders of Israel. Let's bring on our guest now. Ryan, it's great to talk to you and welcome to Life's Tough. Thank you. Great to be here. That is quite an introduction. You have had a tremendous career and it doesn't sound like you're done yet. Well, hopefully not. You know, our new baby, My Israel's Miracle, uh, just coming into the market and then literally in the next couple of days on Amazon. So that will be the the new test. And thank you so much. We've been working on that for about 18 months right now. And so how did you discover the elements? Well, you know, what happened to me is the beginning was the feeling and the energy and really the emotion, as you described, of Israel that I discovered on my first visit. I've been there now seven times. And I would say to you an interesting thing, if you ask someone if they've ever been to Israel, and I I, I welcome you to try that, you don't get a normal, just smiley, yes, I've been to that place. You get a look of real, real emotion and real, real intensity. So that was the beginning for me. From there, we uh, found a uh, really well-known herbalist in Israel who operates out of a very well-known kibbutz and began to put together some uh, herbal ingredients. We also began to put together some uh, oils, an argan oil, which has become an amazingly popular oil in the world, mostly coming from Morocco, discovered an Israeli source for that. And we also added some Israeli spring water at a place called En Gedi. And that's how that whole process started. Ah, Yes, That's fascinating. So what year was this? Well, that really goes back to tell you the story um, uh, about 10 years ago when I had um, Dr. Miracles and I always had trademarks and ideas and things I was interested in doing. And what happened is after we sold Dr. Miracles, um, that uh, private equity company did not continue with those trademarks. I, I reestablished that trademark, My Israel's Miracle, and then I got back to something I had wanted to do for a very long time, and that's where we're at today. Uh, that's pretty wild. So going back earlier on in your career, uh, you're a Caucasian male. What prompted Correct. you to create, I was going to say, we're 99% sure based upon our findings, so thanks for correcting us. Uh, that is correct. What prompted you to create a line of hair care products for African-American women? Well, the story, uh, the short version is that since I'm 10 years old, I've I've been working, um, I've been earning, I've had paper routes, I've delivered meats and groceries, I've sold multiple things on the streets of New York, and after I got out of college, I was working for a big company, Motorola, I was selling communications equipment, and my father at the time knew another gentleman whose son had started a company, well, Always Natural, with just one product. And he was also Caucasian. And my father told me, you need to speak to this gentleman. He has a product. My father said he was in black cosmetics. Hmm. And I just basically dismissed it for a month or two. And eventually, with my father's insistence, went to meet my then uh, partner. We didn't really have a business. We had a couple hundred dollars a month in sales. But I was fascinated by the idea of creating your own products, your own brand. And that's how it all started, really. So I, I... He's not with us uh, uh, in the physical world anymore, my dad, but he's the person that really pushed me into an opportunity that turned into everything you just described. And so tell me, tell me about your dad. What was he like growing up? Well, my dad worked for uh, a very famous product the last 20 years of his life, uh, Sweet and Low, the sugar substitute. Of course. Um, and they're in, they're in Brooklyn, New York. My, my father got involved with the family and, and, and did that for the 
really the second half of his career. But the thing I always remember about my dad uh, was that he was always hustling, hustling to pay the bills and take care of the family. And he just had a natural uh, kind of entrepreneurial uh, deal making uh, personality. So wherever he went, he, he traded some sweet and low for uh, a donut factory once he got friendly with someone he brought home tons of donuts yes, i like donuts he, that's my kind of dad me too <laughs> i mean he even went uh he he found someone who worked in a, a plastic factory when it was making a product uh i'm amazing myself here called gumby if you remember yeah gumby. of course so you know he brought home like hundreds of slightly defective gumby <laughs> so my father was always out there doing things trying things and you know, to some degree, until I was very blessed, because until I was about 17, he was very unsuccessful. And, really? and the reason I say I was blessed is that gave me a tremendous hunger to succeed, uh, to earn money, uh, to be successful. And after that, it all turned around for him. And, you know, he had material success later in life. But I always said I was very lucky that I, in my early years, knew if I wanted something, I had to go out and get it. Yeah, you and our stories are, are very similar in that sense of, I remember the earliest business I had, I would have been a, gosh, a nine-year-old, 10-year-old, 11-year-old boy out shoveling snow and raking leaves and mowing lawns. Uh, of course. Why don't we do that anymore? I, I have two kids, an eight and six-year-old. Why don't I push them? What, what, what is it in today's culture? Well, let's start with one thing. I mean, the laws uh, in New York, where I live, uh, a kid cannot get a job uh, until he's at least 15. And then depending on the type of uh, environment, uh, if there's alcohol, et cetera, he can't do it until he's 18. The other issue we have, in my view, is, hey, it's great to have a minimum wage of 15 bucks. But when the minimum wage is 15 bucks, adults take those jobs, not kids. Right. So I think there's a lot of factors. Um I think uh, social media plays into it as well, you know, where we see kids spending uh, tremendous amounts of time just, you know, on their on their devices. But I've always said when I have the opportunity, I think there should be something like a half of minimum wage for a kid from, let's say, 13 to 15. That's a great idea. Or 12 to 15 or other opportunities that might even be not money opportunities, but uh, volunteer opportunities, a way to get certain credits for school or maybe you can. Uh, miss certain things in school. So I think as a society, we have almost completely gotten away from the concept of young people working. Um, I'll just say this to you. I'm in Montauk, New York now. Um, 100% of the summer help are from foreign countries. Hmm. And I, I, I don't understand that. I've been to Yellowstone. I've been to Yosemite, most beautiful places in the world. Everyone there is from a foreign country. So why don't American kids want to take those yeah. opportunities is a great, is a great uh, a question actually. That, that actually is. So ocean, I live in Baltimore, ocean city, Maryland. You'll, you'll see the same thing. Um, people coming over from other countries to work, uh, to work here that it seems to be that Americans, not all generations, but certain generations, they're just not pushed as hard. And it, it's almost as if the government's creating rules or regulations and policies that are preventing fathers or preventing moms or caregivers or whoever is uh, with the kid to, to help them and guide them. You know, look at your own work ethic. If you didn't do those things, you wouldn't be able to be the janitor for your own business. You had to learn, you had to learn everything, how to do it, how to fill in the, the, the lawnmower and the tank and, uh, and to, you know, to um, sweep, sweep up after yourself. Like you learn that. Well, you know, I, I would say, uh, you know, when you, when you're doing a thing like delivering newspapers, I was also a waiter, 
um, from 16 to 22. When you're doing those things, you don't really realize how important they are until years later. But everything in life is a, is a stepping stone. It's like a, a stairs working your way up. You don't just start at the top. You know, you have to work your way to the top. And, and, and now, and really for many years, I've looked back at my success and I've said a, lot, a large part of it had to do with those opportunities. One other thing I'll mention just quickly is a concept that's also kind of fallen out of favor. It's called mentors, right? Well said. I was a 16-year-old boy. I was working in an Italian restaurant. The owner, a wonderful man named Adam Leoti, was um, there. And he was um, my first mentor. And he took me under his wings. He explained business to me, explained how to treat people. Really, just great foundation. And that is well said. And we, we say a lot on the show that leaders don't create more followers, they create more leaders. So to know that you've run your organizations with that mentality, uh, that you're looking, you're looking to develop more. So you sold a company. I got to ask, you sold a company for north of an excess of $40 million. For the most part, one would argue, didn't your dream come true? So if money isn't your dream, what is your dream? Like, What made you say, I'm not done yet? Well, I, could, I can say a few things to you. Um, I, I've always been interested in growth, and that had to do with my family. That had to do with my vegetable garden, and that had to do with business. And, you know, business was always a, a, a means to an end for me, okay, not the end itself. And when I decided to sell both businesses, I had reached the conclusion that I had taken those companies as far as I could. So your other question is, after the first sale, well, let me let me even uh, uh, disclose something else. The first sale, tremendous crowning achievement uh, financially and every other way. And within about four or five months, I'm in a, a pretty much of a deep depression. I can mm. mention that to you. Yeah. And people would say, what do you what do you mean? How could you be in a depression? You sold the company you had millions because all of a sudden I had, I had uh, you know, really sold out my control, my identity. And I was a young man. I was 43 when mm. I sold that first company. So. Um, one day I'll just say it to you this way. One day I was sitting around not feeling great. It had been a few years after I sold and had left Revlon and my wife said, you're going back into the old industry. And that's where Dr. Miracles began. And that's when it began. Yep. And I said, what do you mean? Why would I do that? You know? And she said, because you've done it before and everyone knows you and you're talented and, and you got to get back in the game. And, and that started the process, uh, that again culminated in, in in Dr. Miracles, which was a, a a much more compressed success. It took us for only four and a half years that one to hit the uh, you know close to well, forty million dollars a year in sales and had all of the uh, private equity and strategic partners you know interested in that company. So um, I, you know I, I think if for me I think inertia for me is the sign of uh, maybe death or maybe uh, just a horrible thing. And I just like to keep moving and keep uh, looking forward. It's another thing I like to say, looking forward. And I don't really like to look in the rearview mirror that much. Well, I can tell you, we've had a lot of guests on this show and you, you are beyond inspiring me to say, I hope you will mentor me because that counsel and that advice you just gave of what happens when you reach, and I call it the top, your response yes. is, I'm not done yet. And I know there's a lot of people that I can bring with me um, on the next chapter. So tell me about your community, your, your circle around you. Um, well, you know, the six kids, uh, as, as I, you know, mentioning, I have three boys and three girls. That's a big part of my community. 
Um, of course, my wife, you mentioned as well. Um, you know, and then I, I think we could talk a little bit about some of the philanthropic work over the years. We, we've been deeply, deeply personally involved with it, an organization called The Birthing Project. And they have a website called Birthing Project USA. Birthing Project USA. Yes. And I invite all of your listeners to take a look. It's a real pure grassroots volunteer organization that literally has saved over 15,000 babies' lives over the years by offering support and mentoring. That, and Catherine Hall, Catherine Hall was the founder of that. She's a CNN hero. Her story is amazingly, amazingly inspirational. Something you might be interested for your show, um, started at 17, found herself pregnant, standing in a bus station in California, thinking about ending her life. And somehow changed it, went back to university, got a master's and worked for the state of California and saw all the problems with infant mentality and started the birthing project. So we've worked with them for many, many years. Great organization. And, uh, you know, have uh, blessed to have many, many friends for, for decades and decades um, in my life and uh, just very full and very busy. Yeah, it sounds like you, you got a lot going on. I'm on the uh, board of directors for the March of Dimes, so oh, um, I, I, I appreciate those that that see to see the women and see the babies um, and see people that that need empathy. They they need our help, of um, course. And well, the Mar- yeah. March of Dimes, if I can say it, supports the birthing project in some of the cities around the country. That that's that's fantastic to hear. So, getting into the business side. Yes. Uh, looking at where you are and your line. So what other hair care product lines have you developed before My Israel's Miracle? Things that maybe we haven't talked about. Well, My Israel's Miracle is the latest and greatest. And hopefully I'll tell you a little bit more about that. But uh, the original product that I developed with my partner in, in the early 80s, which is a long time yeah, ago. Going back. I was born in 83. So you're, you're going oh, back. There you go. Yeah. There you go. So, <laughs> uh, you know, that's for sure. But that was always natural. And in 1981, if your listeners can remember, if they wanted to buy some echinacea, golden seal or any herb, they had to go to a health food store and hope they could find one that had something like that. You could not go to Walgreens, CBS. Um, or, or uh, Rite Aid and buy those products because we hadn't, as a country, yet discovered uh, herbal products and natural products. And Always Natural was a, uh, a nine-year uh, battle of uh, pushing a 600-pound rock uphill. I mean, uh, people didn't understand the product. They didn't understand the concept of, of herbal products. And it was uh, a real nine-year struggle Um that eventually led to African pride and that sale to Revlon. But the first nine years with Always Natural were very difficult. And the other brands you mentioned, Ginseng Miracle, that was a brand that we uh, worked on that uh, used ginseng as a main ingredient, as an energizer, as a, uh, something that had uh, you know energy overtones uh, and, and other overtones. That was a successful brand, nothing like African pride. Um, and those were the brands that uh, eventually uh, Revlon took. And, uh, you know, as you mentioned, I went to work at Revlon uh, for a number of years. That was not really for me. Uh, I'm not a big company person. Took a few years off and, uh, you know, got back in there with uh, Dr. Miracles. And, and, you know, that eventually got sold and led me to where we are today, talking about my Israel's miracle. Yeah, that's incredible. And where you've come from. So this wasn't an overnight, you became CEO success. You had to start from going outside and, and working and earning it one step, one dollar at a time. 
and, and not giving up. And, and so uh, looking at your wife, uh, where she is, uh, we read that the two of you introduced a new line called Nene's Secret back in 2013. Is, we did. What was we that did. like working with your wife? Well, um, it, it made me go against one of my major beliefs when you're in uh, what I do in, in my line of business, which is not to get emotional about mm-hmm. your product. So um, I found that impossible because it was my wife. Um, and I'm married, so I can tell you, I don't know how, like, how you did that. It was, it was interesting. And, you know, there was one day where my wife, uh, got very emotional and said, you know, what man would create a product named after his wife. And, you know, the good, that's some of the good news. The bad news was, and you know, maybe I wouldn't say bad. I would just say the, the other news is that particular brand really did not take off. You know, like like some of the other ones you mentioned. So yeah, it was a, a process that uh, we enjoyed, and I can just tell you, I've been through many creative processes where, at the end, I I tell the people around me, whatever happens, I'm proud of this uh, process we went through. Yeah, and I feel that way about that particular product as well. That's how you have to. That's how we all learn is where things that we know, maybe things we don't know, or maybe the market wasn't ready. Uh, yes. So, so yes. looking at your your new line right now, my Israel's miracle is this. For women only, or do you see getting into the man's side, or is it for both? Well, I would say, you know, something that uh, many people in the business won't say to you, which is a hair product doesn't know if you're a man or a woman. I was going to say, because I do use my wives, and my hair is super shiny. It works. Yeah, and I would say from doing uh, focus groups, and, and, and this, this, this statement has changed somewhat, but not a lot. Most men, if you say, what do you use on your hair, say exactly what you just said. Whatever That's the truth. my wife uses absolutely um, and that that's the key to that so we do get a lot of uh, uh a male usage but um this line is being uh stressed and really uh, a lot of the interest does come from the female side and uh you know the whole the whole idea of my israel's miracle uh the packaging which is uh we had created you know illustration of some of the herbs in the product like frankincense and myrrh wow uh, are right on the package that's pretty cool we uh, created a great uh, a box for all the products that we're launching on Amazon uh, in the next few days to tell the story, my story, my personal story, the product story. That's fantastic. So, friend. you know, we, we, we are gearing this towards women more knowing that we will get uh, some men, quite a bit of men as well. Wow. Well, that, uh, we will, if, if we can find a way to get, get some, I'll, I'll talk to maybe Chris offline. My, my well, wife, I, I know you, she'll be big on this. You go, this yes, is my wife's you, from you Sweden. Will, you will. Oh, great. No, for sure. You will, you will be, it'll be our pleasure to have you try it, you know, which is literally, um, in the next few days, Fantastic. you know, we get that to you for sure. All right. So retail channels. Uh, well, how do you do it? it? Yes. Well, let me tell you an interesting story with Dr. Miracles. We were in 50,000 doors in the U S which is wow. amazing. We, 50, you know, 50,000. Oh, and I, I can break it down. You know, I'm not going to break it down for you. That's for your listeners, lot. But it was chain wide at Walmart, chain wide at Walmart, chain wide at CVS. But the, the world has changed in, in the seven or eight years I haven't been in this world. And there is a thing today called the e-commerce, <clears throat> which has totally changed the world, and Amazon in particular. Um, I would also say to you listeners, and again, I'm trying to be as 100% honest as I can, um, the retailers have shrunk a lot. And the way they're keeping their profit going and everything going is putting more pressure on the manufacturers. And that pressure has gotten... Um, much, much, much tougher in the last six, seven, eight years. So definitely more challenges. So, 
much more challenges, uh, all things from paying slower for your goods, uh, more guarantees and things like that. So we've taken a position with My Israel's Miracle that we're, uh, as a proof of concept mainly, we're going on to Amazon uh, as our initial distribution. And uh, again, it's very amazing. I'm talking to you today. We will be on Amazon literally in the next day or two, which is funny to be here yeah, talking perfect, to you. Perfect timing. And, uh, you know, the retail channels, um, this particular brand, in our view, it's not um, where we want to be in 50,000 doors um, anymore. We want to probably in the near future pick one drug chain, one mass market uh, like a Walmart and or Target. Um, and there are other chains out there as well, like Ulta has 800 stores, perfect beauty chain for us. So the distribution is going to be a little more selective and a little more exclusive. Well, it sounds like you know the secret sauce. So I got to talk to you. I like to use the word secret sauce to say, what does it take to succeed in business with any industry? What is that secret? How did you do it? Because I hear the passion, but how do you find it? Well, I, I think to some degree <laughs> it's there or it's not. I would say that in my view, um, it can be cultivated. Yes. Um, I think you have to be in business absolutely convinced of something I've told many entrepreneurs, which is very harsh, but I'm going to tell you. And whatever their product is, personal care, clothing, whatever you have to sell, when people show me their new product, I always tell them, no one cares, no one needs it, and no one wants it. Mm -hmm. And it's harsh, but it's the way you have to understand because anything you bring to the market, something like it has been there before. So you really have to somehow have some intestinal fortitude because in, 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 invariably, there are going to be many, many lean years. Now, I, I've had great success, if you, as you've mentioned, and there are people who know me in my later years and think I've always been um, a rich entrepreneur just sitting around counting my money. But the truth is, when I mentioned Always Natural to you, in nine years with that brand, at the end of nine years, on a personal basis, I was worth zero. Mm. <laughs> so yeah. somehow the ability just to keep going um, really to have a word that I think is also very important. If I can say it to you, it's called certainty. You have to have a certainty deep in your soul that all the uh, bad news, all the no's, all the issues, all the problems, you're just moving forward, moving forward, moving forward. And I think that's, that's the best way I could describe it. That, that is incredible guidance. And so learning that the world is a little bit different and, and you have to kind of emerge with it or evolve with it. How do you decide on price points? So you're an entrepreneur, someone out there is listening in, we're in 70 countries, someone has an idea that they want to take out of their head, to, so concept to execution. Yes. How do you decide on this? I mean, this is a big one. This could destroy your model or can make you a $120 million company. Well, there's some, you know, there, there really is some, some idea or some feeling you have inside that tells you you have a good idea or something that people are going to need and or want. And I think, you know, that's really the beginning of it. Um, as far as pricing that you mentioned, it's a key, key component of any uh, entrepreneurial success because if you price your goods too low, you know, you might think you're doing yourself a favor, but you'll find over a long period of time, 
you're losing money. You can't advertise. You can't promote. And you can't support your product. So that will put you out of business. On the other hand, if you price your goods too high, whatever you're selling, then you run the risk of pricing yourself out of the market. And in that that can just shut you down. But I would say it's easier to lower your price of goods if you have to than it is to increase your price of goods if you have to. Uh, that's well said. And so for people like me out there that when we use what's on our shelf at home, it's whoever the other person or what the other person picked. Um, about the world of products, you talk about using things that are natural, things that have been here for thousands of years. They weren't created somewhat in a lab. Uh, we yes. put things on our head like Head & Shoulders or some of the other companies. Um, when we look at what's going on to our kids, uh, onto their, their skin or into their hair, is this something that you see is not just going to be an ongoing trend? Do you find that there's more education around this now, that, that people actually care where maybe they didn't used to? Well, I think they, they, they do. I think people will sometimes react to the um, news of the week. I will say that um, with personal care, skin and hair care products, there are some products on the shelf in major, major retailers now. Um, and, and take a look when you're out there. You'll find this. They say more negative stuff than they do positive. So they don't have um, parabens and they don't have um, sulfates and they don't have uh, animal testing. And I'm not saying any of those things are good, by the way. I'm just saying um, there seems to be there are actually some products that list nine or ten negatives. No, 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 no. So some of those things and I don't want to get into each one, but I would just say to you some of the things that become news for a minute um, and people get on a certain bandwagon and all of a sudden a few months later um, those things and those ingredients are not uh, discovered to be such a big issue after all. I would say um, what you're describing I think people are absolutely more concerned than I've ever seen in my life um, about what they put on their hair what they put on their body um, and certainly what they put into their mouth, I mean, which is another big issue. So I think that focus is a good thing, and I think it will continue. Well, well said. I, I find that our conversation today, I've learned that you're not just an entrepreneur, you're a humanitarian, you're a conservationist. That well, thank you. That thank you're, you. you're doing everything you can to make an impact. And final question that we ask all of our guests, the toughest person you've ever known, either emotionally, physically, it could be a few people, but who would that be? For Brian Marks, the toughest person I've ever known um, in in a lot of ways is going to come back to something I said earlier, which is um, about my dad and my dad um, uh, growing up. I, I, I'm not tough to me in any way, shape or form or physical or any of that. I mean, he was never like that, but tough when it came to um, expecting things of people, a friend, friendships um, and really just making the bar kind of high for people around him. And I thought when I was a young man, uh, early teenagers, I would see certain relationships ending um, and I just couldn't understand it. But I can say as I've uh, as I've aged, you know, I now understand that uh, to a large degree, nothing lasts forever. And he was just setting the bar high enough because he thought that was the right thing. And you know, as, as tough as it was in some ways, for me, it was a tremendous lesson, uh, you know, in the long term. He sounds like an incredible man. And I imagine there was. Was, there was that one moment you had where you knew you made him proud. 
Um, my father loved my success. Yes, um, for sure. The sale to Revlon was something that uh, really hard to describe. He en- he enjoyed the process. We did a lot of uh, events with uh, African Pride back then. We did a lot of uh, sales meetings and we had costume parties and just big, big events. And my father was in all his glory at those things for sure. And what was your dad's name, Brian? His name was Shelly Marks. Shelly. Shelly Marks. Shelly Marks. Yes. All right. Well, as we end every episode, every show with this, life's tough. Shelly Marks was tougher. Thank you for coming on the show, Brian. Thank you so much. My pleasure. And I hope to see you again. All right. Talk to you soon. So that wraps up our show for today. Thanks again to Brian Marks for making this another outstanding episode of our Life's Tough podcast. And thanks to you, our amazing audience, for making the Life's Tough podcast one of the most relevant, engaging, and fastest growing shows around. Also, special thanks to my dear friend, Gerald Levin, Life's Tough sheep writer, and my Sherpa. And to my friend, John Miller of the Alston Carlisle Studio here in Baltimore, Maryland. You already know life is tough, and running your own business is tougher. You need a financial planner who's tougher. Carl Grund is a financial planner who helps small business owners navigate the market and grow their business through financial strategies. Give Carl a call at 703-287-7128. That's 703-287-7128. Or send an email to C. G-R-U-N-D at sfpfinancial.com. That's Seagrund at sfpfinancial.com to learn how Carl can help you get tough on business. Securities and advisory services offered through Royal Alliance Associates, Inc., member FINRA, SIPC. The stories we all hear are as varied as the people who tell them. It's impossible to discount the impact of any one singular experience. Instead, I ask you to use your story to empower others. Your story may be just what it takes to help somebody in your circle or perhaps in our community to get through a tipping point moment, an instance in which that person either chooses to continue to be a victim or when that person finds the strength to transcend a particular situation. Please subscribe to our show, visit lifestuff.com and be sure to join us every week for a new stimulating hour of heartfelt discussion. Tell your friends about us too. Remember, Everyone has a story, and every story has a purpose. Life's tough, you can be tougher. Thanks for listening and being a part of our community. Now, for the entire Life's Tough team, this is Dustin Plantle signing off. Have a great week, everyone.